This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state reported just 2,678 new cases of COVID-19 Monday. That is the lowest number of cases in a day since the middle of June. 576,000 Floridians have been infected so far during the pandemic. The state also reported 87 more fatalities Monday. That increases the death toll to 9,647. And the governor says the key indicators are headed in the right direction. Statewide, the number of individuals who are showing up at EDs, the emergency departments, for COVID-like illnesses has been declining for weeks and weeks and, in fact, um, is down as much as 75 percent uh, from the peak, uh, which was about July 7th. But those trends may be in jeopardy now that schools are welcoming kids back to the classroom. New cases have been linked to the reopening of schools in several counties. And Professor Sarah Matthews says more closings are inevitable. I do think that that is going to be a reality for most, for many districts, and in that at some point in time, um, they will go back to a remote situation, um, given the way that this virus has spread. On today's Sunrise interview, you'll hear from Andrew Spar with the Florida Education Association about the specter of COVID in the classroom and micromanaging by Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran. It appears the Commissioner of Education has decided uh, that any district that wants to close a classroom has to go through him. And so he is telling superintendents to contact him before closing a classroom so they can discuss whether or not it's appropriate to do so. It's primary day in Florida, and the polls are open till 7. If you requested a vote-by-mail ballot and haven't mailed it yet, make sure you drop it at the elections office in person if you want it to count. The Postal Service is having all sorts of problems, and Congressman Debbie Wasserman Schultz says it's all because of Donald Trump. We have not even been able to agree on a top-line number or come together and compromise on the next COVID relief package because the president wants to actually cheat to win the election and make it harder for people to have their vote-by-mail ballots count when they are cast. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with two Florida men having problems with Florida women. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, August 18th. While the governor claims schools are safe, we didn't have to wait long for COVID to show up in the classroom. One week after the first schools began reopening in Florida, we have reports from Martin County, where 12 staffers and more than 100 students at four schools were exposed to individuals with a COVID-19 diagnosis or symptoms. Students are being told to quarantine at home, but teachers and staff are classified as essential. They're required to report for duty. Martin is the largest district that opened last week, but it was not the only one with a problem. Bradford County has quarantined students and staff from three schools. Manatee County reports at least nine schools where staffers have been exposed to COVID-19. Seminole County reports an entire grade level at one elementary school has been quarantined after being exposed. And Suwannee County reported three teachers and one student tested positive during the very first week of school. Andrew Spar is vice president of the Florida Education Association. The union warned there would be problems in the rush to reopen, and Spar says it's not looking good. It is not. Uh, we have had uh, cases of uh, COVID or, or COVID-like symptoms in several of the counties that opened, including Suwannee County, Bradford County, and the biggest outbreak right now, the epicenter seems to be Martin County, uh, which opened to student Tuesday of last week, and they have had um, students and or staff at uh, four schools um, either diagnosed with COVID or have COVID symptoms where they had to quarantine uh, classrooms and, in fact, school buses, too. Now, is this in any way going to change the state's response? I guess I'm trying to figure out where is our tipping point? 
one would think we would start looking at this a little differently, but as uh, I think is being reported today, it appears the Commissioner of Education has decided uh, that any district that wants to close a classroom has to go through him, and so he is telling superintendents to contact him before closing a classroom so they can discuss whether or not it's appropriate to do so. You know, it's kind of interesting because the Center for Disease Control, which I look at as some experts in the field of medicine, um, they have said that they believe uh, you should have community spread below 5%. We do not believe there's a county in Florida that has community spread below 5%. We know in Florida the number of kids being uh, diagnosed with COVID is higher as a percent of the overall cases than the national average, and yet um, we still seem to be moving forward like nothing is going on. And so that is the biggest concern. You know, look, every educator in the state wants to be back in school, uh, just like everyone wants to get back to normal. But we have to take this virus seriously. We have seen over 45,000 students diagnosed with COVID since it began. 42,000 of those diagnosed in the last two months alone. Um, and we have seen well over 500 students, over 550 kids under the age of 18 who have been admitted to the hospital, uh, over 400 of those in the last two months alone. So this is a serious uh, illness. It does impact kids, maybe not to the level it does adults, but we should be taking every measure possible to protect our children and to protect the people who work in our schools. Now, I was just looking at a map produced by the Harvard Global Health Institute uh, looking at coronavirus rates, and you know, there's not a single county in Florida that it says passes the test to reopen. Uh, why do you think there is this reluctance in Florida to listen to that sort of uh, recommendation for the experts? You know, unfortunately, I think decisions in Florida are being made uh, for political purposes and for the political economic purposes uh, in the state of Florida. And, you know, look, one of the things that educators have said for years is that our public schools are vital. They're vital to student learning. They're vital to the social and emotional well-being of students. They're vital for the community to connect. I mean, as a parent myself, when I go to school events, I see other members of the community parents of other kids and such, and we interact and talk there as well. So they're vital to that community connection, and they're vital to uh, the foundation of our economy. We know that. We've been saying it for a while, and that's what we're seeing more of. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the health and well-being of our students and the people who work in our schools as we reopen. What we have said from the beginning is we need the governor and leaders in the state of Florida to step up and make sure we're doing everything possible to bring community spread down. And by the way, I would even go further. This requires a community effort. This is not just the public schools that should be burdened with this. This should be a community effort. Everyone in the community should step up and work together and, and, and bring community spread down. And if we did that, then we can start the appropriate implementation of measures in reopening our schools, and that means schools need the resources to reopen, which is why we need the U.S. Senate to pass the HEROES Act, which would literally bring billions of dollars to our public schools here in Florida so that they can uh, make sure they have hand-washing stations. We have a teacher who has literally gone uh, on the Internet to raise money uh, using GoFundMe to buy hand-washing stations for the classroom and for other classrooms in the school. Um, we have um, 
other teachers who have gone out as they typically do and gotten cleaning supplies so that they can clean their classrooms and make sure that everything is, is sanitized. Uh, but it shouldn't just be on the teachers to do that. We need the legis- the, we need uh, lawmakers in Washington to pass this and get these resources here so that we can make sure we have the equipment we need in our schools and the measures in place in our schools, which in some cases requires more people uh, to make sure that we're keeping our kids and the people who work in our schools safe. Okay. Anything you wanted to say that didn't get a chance to say yet? Uh, no, again, we just have to remember this tears at the heartstrings of our educators. You know, they want to be in school, but they want to protect their kids. And, and that's what makes this so challenging for so many educators. And as we see schools reopen and reopen without the needed resources, and we continue to have an, an appointed bureaucrat in Tallahassee calling the shots rather than elected school board members who are elected by parents and small business owners and community leaders. Instead of having those people make the decision, we've got this bureaucrat doing it, and it's just not right. We should be looking at science. We should be looking at data. We should trust the experts both in the medical field and in the education arena in doing what's right for kids and for the people who work in our schools. The teachers' union is challenging the state school reopening plan, and their lawyers are meeting with the governor's lawyers today to see if they can settle out of court. If not, the trial begins tomorrow morning. Regardless of that lawsuit, the reopening continues, and Professor Sarah Matthews at Florida International University says it's inevitable that some schools will have to shut down all over again because of COVID-19. The only question is how many kids and teachers have to contract the virus before that happens. I think the reality is that most likely someone in that school is going to get COVID somewhere or, and bring it into the, to that environment or even get it there and spread it. And so I think that that's something that um, policymakers, administrators, you know, need to be thinking about. And then what is the plan? Um, what is how many cases is enough to go back to a remote setting? Um, are they just looking at teachers and teacher cases or is it students? That will be the, the alarm to sound to um to send back to remotely. And I think that we are going to see a lot of these situations where schools will open um, and then something will happen. And then either the individual school or the district um, will decide to close for a short period of time. So um, I think that that is going to become more commonplace, although I'm not a health, ex- a health expert at all. But I think I know that those are the decisions that um, that administrators are, ma- are having to, to make right now is what are the parameters and when will be the decision to change to change that option in the same way that, you know, like Broward and Miami has said, you know, we're going remotely and then at a further date, we will um, go back to face to face. You know, those days may also change as we look at the number of cases, whether they increase or decrease as well. So I do think that that is going to be a reality for most for many districts and in, in that at some point in time, um, they will go back to a remote situation. Um, given the way that this virus has spread. Susanna Ali is a professor of public administration at FIU. She says the school reopening would be a lot simpler if people would stop treating it as a political issue. I guess I would just ask people to put their ideology aside and focus on recognizing this is a virus. It's a virus with consequences. And we need to think about how we're going to beat the virus and how we're going to protect our kids in both social, economic, emotional, and their health. Um, And if we can pull back from the ideology and have just reasonable discussions, I think we have a shot at doing doing a great job. 
But it's tough to take ideology out of an issue when Florida's response to COVID-19 is being driven by Donald Trump. Broward Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz says you need look no further than what's happening at the U.S. Postal Service. We are facing a, a Trump-imposed crisis with the U.S. Postal Service um, intentionally, uh, where the president has taken a crowbar to the Postal Service and essentially tried to, you know, gum up the works to such a degree that uh, that it's quite obvious, um, not only because his... his um, Actions are transparent in their motivation, but also in, lis in listening to his own words. I mean, we, we have not even been able to agree on a top line number or come together and compromise on the next COVID relief package because the president wants to actually cheat to win the election and make it harder for people to have their vote by mail ballots count when they are cast. And uh, we are actually going back into session on Saturday uh, to vote on an emergency piece of legislation that will, um, if it becomes law, which is doubtful, but we will certainly take a very strong stand um, from, uh, from the, the perspective of the House Democratic majority and say, this is absolutely unacceptable. One of the, the most respected institution in the United States is the US Postal Service consistently. And this president is acting more like an autocrat more like Lyshenko in Belarus, who will do any cheat in any way to to try to win this election and prevent people from exercising their precious right to vote. Um, it is just absolutely outrageous. So we're going into session on Saturday. We'll pass Carolyn Maloney's uh, emergency legislation to stop the reforms that the Postal Service, uh, new, the new Postmaster General, who is a billionaire donor that Trump appointed with the obvious intention of trying to slow the Postal Service down. And by the way, you know, running only very faintly in the background is, uh, is his intention and desire long, long held to undermine the post office to such a degree that, it be, that, that, we are in, that, that we go through privatization. And so that is, I think, we, I think we've seen how outraged people are about the, the impact on the Postal Service and that the P American people now can see exactly you know, what Trump's motivation is. Um, it's insidious and we're not going to stand for it. And then on Monday, August 24th, I sit on the House Oversight Committee. I'm the only Florida Democrat that sits on the Oversight Committee, which has jurisdiction over the Postal Service. And we uh, will hear in a hearing from the Postmaster General, Mr. DeJoy, and be able to question him. So, uh, so we're, we're not waiting uh, until it's too late to be able to take action and make sure that we can not only protect people who cast their ballot by mail and their franchise, but also to make sure that the vital services that are still delivered through the Postal Service, like getting veterans their medication, like having businesses who, I just hung up with a major business owner in my district who his, his mail has slowed to a trickle and his life, the lifeblood of his business depends on the Postal Service functioning properly uh, and being able to get uh, mail delivered on time. Governor Ron DeSantis was in Panama City Monday to announce the relaunch of a home loan program to help people recover from their losses during Hurricane Michael almost two years ago. The governor did not hold one of his usual roundtable discussions on COVID-19, but he mentioned it at the end of his prepared remarks. Just a quick update on, on COVID-19. Um, you know, we have... Uh, 
trends in Florida that have been trending in the right direction for many weeks now. Uh, last week, we had the lowest percentage of tests that tested positive since the week of June 7th. Uh, it was also the sixth straight week where we had a decline in the positivity rate. Uh, patients with coronavirus who've been hospitalized have declined by nearly 40% uh, since peaking statewide on July 22nd. Uh, people, uh, patients who are COVID positive in the ICU has declined by nearly 30% since peaking on July 18th. Statewide, the number of individuals who are showing up at EDs, the emergency departments, for COVID-like illnesses has been declining for weeks and weeks, and in fact, um, is down as much as 75% uh, from the peak, uh, which was about July 7th. And so you talk about different indicators, how many tests you do, and what's the criteria. There's a lot of different ways you can do indicators that you really have to look under the hood of, but whether people are showing up at the ED or not, that's just a fact. And if people are showing up in higher numbers, there's more prevalence. When they're showing up in much lower numbers, that's a sign that the prevalence uh, is abated. So we're going to continue to work hard, uh, one goal, one Florida, to be able to continue to see these good trends. Uh, but I think that they're durable. I think that they've been lasting now for many weeks. When it was time for questions, no one asked about COVID. The local reporters were more interested in that new loan program. It was the first press conference in months where the governor hasn't had to face any tough questions about the way he's handling the pandemic. And there was a bit of a smile on his face as he walked away from the podium. But not everyone buys the governor's upbeat assessment of the situation here in Florida. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz says there are a couple of major problems, namely the president and the governor. We still have a virus raging through our state. We have unprecedented deaths. Typically, in the last month, we've had more than 200 people die per day, um, or at least get read, you know, come on the, the record books as, uh, as having died each day. And we have a drop in testing, a drop, which is crazy. I mean, we, we, we need to be testing more. All the experts say we need to be testing more people so that we can make sure people know whether they have the virus and then they can self-isolate and we can contact trace. And, uh, and that's, not, that's not happening. This president is a walking disaster when it comes to uh, when it comes to the way he's managed this. And DeSantis is basically his the tr a Trump spawn, and uh, he he does Trump's bidding. He has skipped through this pandemic like you know there real nothing to see here. Um, just been dismissive of pub public health guidance, ignoring the you know what is as plain as day in front of our face, and that is that. This virus is in double, has been in double-digit positivity, which we know is probably much higher than, uh, than what we're seeing because we're not testing enough. And you know, he's still trying to force schools north of South Florida to, go to, to, to come to school starting next week in person, um, threatening financial penalties if they don't. It's primary day in Florida. The polls are open till 7. Be sure and tune in Wednesday for our recap of the results with Peter Schorsch of Florida Politics and our resident pollster and political consultant, Steve Vancor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information.
Your calendar of events begins at 9 with a meeting of the trustees of St. Petersburg College in Seminole. The Public Service Commission takes up a series of issues during a regular meeting at 9.30. That's followed by a special meeting on a plan by Duke Energy for the decommissioning of the Crystal River nuclear power plant. At 10 o'clock, the full 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals will hear arguments in a battle about the constitutionality of a state law restoring felon voting rights. A district judge has already ruled that that 2019 law is unconstitutional because most former felons would have to pay to get their voting rights restored. The Florida Commission on the Status of Women will hold a virtual Florida suffrage tea time at noon. They'll be focusing on the legacy of African-American women in the suffrage movement. Finally today, two sad stories of Florida men and unrequited love. An honorary Florida man has been arrested at the home of wrestling superstar Sonia Deville in Hillsborough County. Authorities say he'd been plotting to kidnap her for almost a year. I say honorary because 24-year-old Philip Thomas is actually from South Carolina. Investigators say he's been stalking her on social media for years. This past weekend, he drove to Florida to put his plan in motion. The arrest report says he snuck into DeVille's house after she went to bed, but he tripped the alarm. She escaped, and when deputies arrived, they found Thomas inside the house with a knife and duct tape. Finally, a Florida man who serves as sheriff of Clay County is accused of making false accusations against his mistress. Daryl Daniels called a deputy last year, said he was being followed by someone believed his life was in danger. The person in the Jeep was Sierra Smith. They'd been having an affair for six years, and she was following him on the way to their regular meeting spot. He's charged with a felony and three misdemeanors. Daniels is also on the ballot today, where he faces five other Republicans. There's no Democrat in the race. He refuses to drop out, insists the scandal does not prevent him from doing his job. Daniels was in the news last month when he threatened to deputize every gun owner in the county if Black Lives Matter protesters came to Clay County. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.